Hi, I'm your host, Nisha. Hi, I'm your host, Fatima, and you're listening to Bite Size Books Podcast. Today, we're talking and discussing the book, The Pegan Diet by Dr. Mark Hyman. And, you know, this podcast is all about talking about relevant issues and relevant topics. So we thought, what could be more relevant than nutrition and what we put into our body? And, you know, we're inundated on a daily basis about what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat. Uh, we see this on social media and, and you know, everywhere. Um, and there's so many different types of diets. There's paleo, veganism, keto. There's just, the list goes on and on. So I think it, it's important to kind of, you know, make our way through this book and sort of discuss what is holistic nutrition and what we eat matters. So can you tell me, Nisha, why you picked this book? So I discovered Dr. Mark Hyman through a friend and uh, I started seeing a lot of her Instagram shares and posts and his information was, was really different than the average doctor on a social media space. He didn't advocate for one type of eating, which was really unique because most doctors or, you know, nutritionists, they tend to fall into a, like a, a family of, of, thought process when it comes to certain types of, you know, either veganism or paleo or vegetarianism. And he encouraged, you know, food, food, basically to eat whole food, no matter what it was, just in a certain quantity and proportion. And that really struck me as something very interesting. And so after coming across his, his um, Instagram page, and following through his posts, I was really intrigued to see what more he had to say about this concept of, you know, a pegan diet. And um, what's interesting is, you know, this, this term pecan is not actually a, a coined term for any type of diet. It, it's just a, um, he actually mentions in his book, but um, during a panel discussion, he was, uh, you know, on, on, on a panel and um, to one side, he had a paleo physician, you know, advocating for, you know, paleo diet. And on the other side, a vegan doctor who was advocating for veganism. And, you know, he, when it was his turn, he, he just kind of jokingly mentioned that, um, if they're, if he's paleo and the other one's vegan, then he's vegan. So, uh, just basically, uh, sharing how that both actually share the same values. It's just they're where they differentiate is where they get their protein source. So anyways, this book was a very, uh, it was a very new thought for me when it comes to nutrition and it wasn't, you know, bad mouthing any other form of, um, a nutritional diet. Okay. That's really interesting because, so it seems like this book is about holistic nutrition where, you know, the author isn't going one way or the other strictly, because I know that that's something, this polarization is very, it's really common, I feel, within the the nutrition world, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's like I'm some someone who suffered with that, uh, where I used to be someone who was very strictly paleo. And I, I remember I couldn't just keep it up because, I mean, I'm sure like we've talked about this before where when in your household, everyone is sort of eating differently and you might be the one who is more stricter in your diet. You might find that it's harder to keep up with it just because, you know, you're cooking for like your family or you're cooking for someone else and you're cooking for your own self. And then it just, it kind of gets really hard to keep up with that. So, you know, I'm really interested to kind of hear more about what he has to say about, you know, finding the right balance because I, I think that's something really lacking in our current, you know, discussion around, you know, what we eat um, and, you know, how we prepare our food. Because 
and I think there's a lot of like sometimes guilt that gets, you know, um, like that gets around that where if you're told a certain food is, you know, it's good or bad, it may ascribe, you know, emotions to that food where you think, okay, me eating that food makes me a bad person. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would really like to kind of talk more about that, where, how do we get out of that trap of thinking, right? Where we, we learn to eat better. We learn to heal ourselves with food without, you know, getting into, um, that mindset where guilt stops us. Right. Definitely. I think uh, that that the guilt aspect is something I can relate to because uh, growing up vegetarian, uh, obviously animal protein was not part of my diet. I did eat eggs, but apart from that, I, I didn't consume actual, you know, animal meat. And I used to always feel like I was, you know, I, like I kind of got at the short end of the stick because of it, because I, I always felt like I could never um, get the, in a, the amount of protein that I need. I, I just felt like I could never be someone who has any sort of muscle tone. Um, and I just generally felt weaker when I was younger, obviously with age, you could do a lot more than as you get older. And so the weight of being vegetarian kind of weighed on me, but at the same time, having not had meat, um, it, it, it's something that I didn't, I didn't wish to eat. It's something that didn't appeal to me. And so I also didn't see myself as wanting to force myself to eat it, uh, you know, just because I wasn't getting sufficient protein. And it, it also seemed kind of strange because, you know, we have, people who have eaten meat all their life, you know, transforming into vegetarians or vegans and claiming that that is the better way of living. And people like me who've been that way all our life, but then still feeling something's missing. And so I completely understand what you're saying. Cause I, and I think it's, as you're saying, the polarizing that, you know, a lot of these, you know, schools of thought, if you may, uh, they tend to not bridge the gap between their thought processes. And I think with Dr. Hyman, he really mentions how, as I said before, the it's, it's about eating whole food. And that's what every diet encourages. There is no diet that encourages processed food. And so the only difference for the most part where, with all of these different thought processes is where protein comes from. And, you know, obviously protein is essential. And he mentions um, that, you know, for your cells to be able to communicate successfully, you need protein. And so protein is a very you know, critical part of our diet. Now, where that comes from and how how much we take in, obviously, is, you know, it's up to debate based on person to person. Um, but with my personal um, experience, uh, you know, again, with when, when people know I'm vegetarian, the automatic assumption is that I must be really healthy because I don't eat meat. And it, that could not be farther from the truth because vegetarian food is also fries and vegetarian food is also chips and candy. And, and just overall junk food. And so I think there's a very false notion that vegetarianism or even veganism is equivalent to healthy. Uh, it just eliminates certain parts of a diet, but things that they eliminate don't aren't necessarily unhealthy. Um, so again, you know, it's really important to, um, again, learn uh, to really understand intuitive eating, which is something I'm slowly kind of understanding now. Um, but that is, again, it kind of goes with the, a, a backstory with, um, you know, my personal experiences. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, so your your first point about the protein, like I think growing up, we've we've always heard that you know protein is the building block of life, right? Um, so it's it's interesting to to hear that he has said that you know like 
with you know the this diet it's just it just matters about, about where your protein is coming from but can you like talk a little bit more about like sources of protein what's good and i like that's the thing i don't want to say what's good and what's bad mm -hmm. i, I want to kind of get away from that language mm -hmm. i want to say more like what does he say what does he say more about protein and what our body needs so I think the easiest way for me to explain it through my understanding is by giving my personal background example. Um, so uh, as I've mentioned before, I have two kids and, you know, with my first pregnancy, I think when you're a first time mom, you know, your first baby takes everything that you have. So whatever number of years, whether you're 25 or 27 or 30 or whatever, um, all those years of storing up, you know, your, your, your health, um, the first baby really gets it. And so you don't really feel the ramifications of poor health with your first. Um, when you, when you have your second and, you know, subsequent children, I think at that point, you, you know, you've already lost a lot to that first child. And so you're whatever, unless you've replenished, you lose, you know, even your remaining storage. And so that's exactly what happened to me with my second. I had my second child two and a half years later, and I really felt the effects of, uh, of that um, birth, uh, when my, with my daughter. Now, I couldn't pinpoint it because I think as mothers and generally as parents, we attribute um, fatigue and you know muscle aches and just overall feeling off to lack of sleep, which is completely true. However, I think nutrition is not really given as much of a focus um, for postpartum maternal health. There's a lot of cultural um, cultural you know things like you know some some cultures have bone broth and some have you know certain like mitai or sweets and certain things that you know mothers pass on to their children but even there there's no education given to the mother it's just blind okay my mom's doing giving me this my my grandma's giving me this and i'll take it but there's no actual understanding as to why you're taking it and so sometimes you may kind of end up in a surplus of something that you don't actually need and so for myself um after my daughter was born you know i like kind of went back to my regular eating um again being vegetarian i would have i love dairy so I, I had a lot of yogurt and cheese and milk and fruits i love and so i also developed a sweet tooth in my pregnancy with my daughter and so i continued with an excessive amount of of sugar and i i would have i, I don't drink caffeine and so my energy source would be sugar so i averaged I would say like you know two chocolate bars uh, full-size chocolate bars that that too uh every night because I would, when my husband would come home from work, I would uh, need to make a grocery run. I would not explain to him why, but I just needed to have it. And I would, that would be my alone quiet time. And I would just indulge in two chocolate bars every single night. And that was not the limit. I used to have ice cream, just basically anything sugar under the sun I used to have. And I did that. I continued that for 18 months to, to two years. And the effects of that, um, you know, I didn't actually pay attention to because, like I said, I just kind of kept attributing how I felt to um, motherhood, that I was exhausted with a two-year-old and a newborn. And so after my daughter became uh, turned uh, three last year and with COVID life slowed down, I think it really got me to pay attention to how I felt. And again, when I spoke to my parents about it and I, when I spoke to just, you know, general friends and family members, the first automatic thought was that I wasn't getting enough protein and I wasn't getting enough iron. And so I started taking an iron supplement and I started, um, you know, taking a protein shake, but I didn't feel any different. And I, I felt just as bad and I didn't know why. And so I went to a 
traditional doctor and the traditional doctor thought I may have a virus. The, the traditional doctor thought I may have some sort of, you know, parasite or something that was affecting my body. And so um, I was given antibiotic at one point. I was given um, another medication at another point, um, but nothing worked. And it really, and, and to, to be honest, like my, my doctor actually told me that, you know, I can just cope with the symptoms with continuing the medication long-term and, you know, when I read up on the side effects, there were some significant side effects, but that didn't seem to really affect the doctor, which surprised me. And so at that point, um, I would say last year, um, near middle to end of last year, I was really hopeless. And again, you know, for the friends who know me personally, no one could tell because, again, I think with, with as women and as moms, I think a lot of times we think that our issues are, we're the only ones experiencing our issues. And I've, I've really learned in the last little while that sharing actually does good for not just yourself, but the people around you, because you never know who else is suffering through the same thing. And so I reached out to a friend of mine um, and I will forever be grateful to her, uh, Ramesa, um, for uh, with this issue. Cause one day I just kind of, you know, blurted it all out. And I was like, you know what? I just, I'm not feeling right. And something's off. And so she told me to try, you know, a naturopath and, you know, up until this point in my life, my, my parents are both in the traditional sciences and they are very, you know, they were, they're advocates for traditional medicine. And I had never really heard of, you know, naturopathy, um, you know, at home. Um, it seemed like a very, it, I was, you know, it was a very ancient thing that I've heard, you know, Ayurveda and just, these were terms that were kind of thrown around at home, but I, I didn't know too much about it. And, um, so initially I kind of brushed it off because I was like, okay, what's a naturopath going to do? You know, tell me to eat spinach. Like, you know, I just, <laughs> that was, that was literally my mindset at the time. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? I've tried everything. Might as well. So I got a contact for, for a good one and I made an appointment, spoke to her and she decided to, uh, my assu- automatic assumption was she was going to tell me to eat meat. Like I just figured, I'm like, okay, I'm just low in protein. I'm going to have to eat meat. And she started off by saying that, you know what, based on after I explained to everything I was eating, she started explaining to me um, that she wanted me to eliminate parts of my diet. And initially I was like, I'm already eating so few things. Like I don't eat meat. I don't eat, you know, most things that people tend to eat. Uh, what else can I eliminate? But she she told me to get off gluten and off dairy, um, completely off sugar, which was a very tough thing on its own. And she did ask me to add a huge portion of protein, especially not protein shakes, which I was very surprised about because that I feel is like, you know, the go-to thing for vegetarians. And when it comes to, now back to your question about about protein sources, um, she mentioned, um, you know, even things like lentils and legumes, uh, to have them within a specific quantity because legumes and lentils are not only a source of protein, but they're very high in carbohydrates. And I think, um, you know, within our South Asian culture, there's such an emphasis on lentils with rice and both being such a high carbohydrate um, combination uh, without balancing out, you know, this concept of balancing food groups is not really present in South Asian culture. And when I think back to the foods we eat, um, you know, I, I grew up eating uh, because rice is such a heavy part of my di- such a heavy part of my diet. I realized that my stomach was kind of getting full off of empty carbs rather than being full off of the protein. And so for protein sources, um, as you as you asked, um, you know, lentils, legumes, uh, for those who eat meat, um, fatty fishes, fish is really, you know, a very good source of protein, um, eggs, of course. And um, there are some vegetables that have a relative amount of protein, but it's, again, it's not uh, enough to fulfill your daily requirement. 
Um, and I think also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, tofu within, again, um, a specific range, sprouted is ideal, but within a um, healthier limit, like it, it can be an unlimited amount. Okay. So I have a few thoughts. <laughs> Uh, just hearing what you've said. So the first thing, actually, maybe I'll connect these two points. Um, you mentioned about, you know, balance in our diet, particularly because we were both from like South Asian cultures, right? Um, and then it got me thinking back to when you mentioned about like postpartum and the kinds of foods we eat. And I know when we look at our traditional roots, um, we have a lot of healing foods within our, you know, our traditions. So in, at least like in Pakistan, when a woman gives birth, uh, they gave her, like they, they make her yakni, which is uh, basically a broth, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that you can put spices in. Then we also have something called like panjiri, which is just nuts and um, like ground brown sugar, I guess you could call it. It's called gourd. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's actually a, a few other things too that a mother can have that are, are very healing foods, right? Um, and I know that a lot of these things are now making a comeback in terms of when we see within Western society, we see a lot of our foods kind of being appropriated, I would say, because we see how like ghee is something really cool to eat now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, oh, uh, soaking your lentils is a thing too, because turmeric. yeah, and tur turmeric lattes, right? <laughs> yeah. Or chai tea or, or, you know, basically all those things. So I feel like um, to the point about, you know, the balance within our South Asian diets, I think we have that, that basis there. Like we have, our ancestors did all these things. And I, I think maybe modern day lifestyles just have kind of overtaken that because our, like even my, I could go back to my say great grandparents uh, or great, great grandparents. Um, they were farmers, right? Mm -hmm. So much of their day was spent outdoors um, and they were laboring away and their diet basically consisted of they would eat rice, they would eat grains, and they would eat all these things. But those things were very wholesome mm -hmm. because they're growing their own food. And they would have, you know, milk from their cows and everything. And and I, I think we have we have something to look back to, right? We we know that our um like our ancestors had a way of living that I think is something that could be easily like put into this book because of what's being sort of, you know, what he's prescribing as well. Um, so yeah, when we talk about like the balance in, in South Asian diets, I would say it's, it's probably something that we've lost because of, of uh, modernity, right? Because of our lifestyles, because we're working nine to five, or just sitting at our tables. And, and then we tend to just like, eat the, the lentils, eat the rice, and we mean, and we're not getting as much physical activity. So I, I, I think, think quality of the, as well is another issue because as, as you mentioned, like, yeah. you know, growing your own food as well as, um, yeah. you know, having, let's say cows like around yeah. you that you can get raw milk from. I think, you know, trying to even replicate that here, yeah. if you try to have the same type of thing, it's it's not the quality itself will suffer, unfortunately. Yeah. And so I think that um, that as well as um, I think, again, at least at how I have seen it yeah. um, from personal experience, there's a lack of explaining as to why. So, you know, this is good for you, but why is it good for you? Like mm -hmm. the, the nutritional understanding, I think, is is so liberating and so um, empowering yeah. Yeah. Um, so that you can make your own choices without supervision. Yeah. Because um, I, I think in South Asian culture, you know, that concept of, 
your mom and dad will tell you what's right versus, mm. okay, fine, they can do that. But then at what point do you detach and make independent decisions? Mm. And so nutritional education, I think, is something that I personally find that lacks a lot in the South Asian community. Although, as you're saying, I completely agree with you that the the sources and, um, you know, the origins are there. Yeah, It's now trying to kind of learn through uh, new sources, but it would be ideal to learn it from the, from the origin, like nutritional knowledge from the origin. But now I think, um, as coming out into the West and, uh, like they're curating it in a more digestible mm -hmm. way for the average audience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that point where you're talking about like having that nutritional education behind why you're consuming what you're consuming. Um, yeah. And of course I think it's, it has to be a balance like where, you are not going to eat everything that you know um, is put in front of you just because like this is what I grew up eating mm -hmm. um, but also knowing like why you're like so I'll give the example of ghee for example uh, for so growing up we ate a lot of ghee in our food mm -hmm. in our rice in our rotis and everything um, and then there was like this moment when it was like the low fat craze, right? Mm -hmm. Where it was like everything low fat is actually better for you mm -hmm. where as we know that's been debunked um, so then I remember I was like, okay, you know, mom, don't put like ghee in my food. You can put it in after. And, and then it was when the research came out that, you know, ghee is actually really good for you and clarified butter is a better form of, um, a fat than, you know, even butter itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when it kind of struck me that, okay, like having, you know, having that knowledge made me realize that there are some things in our tradition that were, that were correct. And I think it's because it probably worked for our ancestors in their specific contexts, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then of course there are habits that we picked up that aren't um, the the best, like, you know, uh, the Mitai thing that you're talking about. So that's basically, Mitai is really um, high sugary, uh, high carb, like sweet goodness, <laughs> right? <laughs> when you eat it, it obviously it's delicious, mm -hmm. but, um, like how we've kind of centered so many events around, you know, Mitai, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I definitely think where, and I, I feel like this kind of brings me into thinking about emotional eating, because I know you talked about how, like, you know, how after your daughter was born, after Nia was born, you found that, like, you were craving sugar so much, right? Mm -hmm. And it was something that helped you get through the day. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, maybe we can discuss a little bit more about, like, you know, how food becomes a way for us to eat our feelings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and does he talk about, I mean, I don't know if he goes into that more because I, I feel like emotional eating might also be something that may not be tackled in this book. Though he may talk about, you know, breaking away because we are talking about food and, and how food can heal us. Mm -hmm. So how how do we break from this, right? Where we use food as a way to eat our feelings. So uh, what's interesting, and this was something that one of the first things he mentioned, uh, or that I learned from him, which was like very eye opening for me is that um, obviously for, you know, we know that our hormones regulate our mood, our hormones regulate so much in our body. And our like our adrenal glands are controlled by like we, we require good fat in our diet for our adrenal glands to operate you know um successfully mm -hmm. and as you mentioned when there was this low fat diet that kind of came swept about you know fat was demonized and you know even i remember like with cooking like having like a tiny little teaspoon of oil or you know just like really minimizing the fat 
um, was a huge thing. And I know I myself also at one point was very big on that and particular on keeping things, you know, at a minimum, always buying fat-free sour cream or, you know, um, skim milk. And I saw, but yet I would do that, but then have like chocolate chip cookies with my skim milk. And so for myself, I, I needed that emotional boost. I needed that energy boost. And so sugar became that for me. Uh, cause I didn't, I didn't have any other healthy form. I had a very unhealthy relationship with food thinking that food was again, now on another tangent, I think as children, we are, we are given an unhealthy relationship with food through the adults who we trust. And that includes parents, that includes teachers, that includes coaches. Cause a lot of times when we are successful in something or at something, we're rewarded through food. And so, you know, a good report card means ice cream or, you know, it's a Friday, we're going to have, you know, ice cream Fridays or dessert Fridays. And we, so we learn to associate these, you know, positivity and success with sugar. <laughs> Almost always it's sugar. Rarely does a child get a salad for doing, you know, good on the report card. So I think that's, as I've been thinking about it, I've, I've kind of been looking back to where it's stemming from. And I myself am guilty at this because, you know, for doing this to my own kids, I know many times, you know, for rewards or special occasions, it's always food. And so I remember there was a uh, lecture that I had heard where the doctor was actually saying that it's so important to, you know, for parents to break out of this and even teachers too, and to start rewarding children with, you know, uh, stationery or even like small toys or something that's not food related because that association comes so young. And so for myself, again, I wanted that boost through food because there was nothing else that I really could get that quick, you know, it's a drug and there's actually a chapter um, where Dr. Hyman says to treat sugar like a recreational drug, because that's exactly what sugar is. It's an addiction. And when you get a little bit of it, you're going to crave more and you're going to crave more. And if you keep answering that call, um, you know, back to the habits podcast, we're discussing when you keep answering that call and that cue and craving sugar, not only has that on a, you know, mental level, but on a chemical level, it, so everything about sugar is about craving and, and reward. So, um, having answered that craving for two solid years, my body was just, you know, want it required that in a way to feel that pleasant euphoria of happiness. And so I am that, I'm a prime example of exactly what emotional eating was. And I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't um, want to accept that at the time. And, and but I also on a level, I feel like I somewhat knew to some degree because I didn't share this with anyone. And I actually didn't even share this with my husband he was completely unaware of my habits because I knew that somewhere along the line, it was wrong, but I just knew I needed it. And I, I knew that if I didn't get it, I, I would, I would be really down and upset. And this also goes back to, for the mothers who, you know, I, I was never ever diagnosed formally with postpartum depression uh, with my second child. And I was never, I didn't have the telltale symptoms that you read online, but I think there was a combination of something and I was not, I, I did not know how to address it in a healthy way. And I chose to self-diagnose and, you know, when a chemical like sugar, which seems, doesn't seem harmful, doesn't seem like it's not an actual, you know, recreational drug, you know, a labeled recreational drug. And it's not, uh, it doesn't get as much bad press as other bad habits. Uh, it feels comfortable and it feels safe and it feels, you know, necessary. And a lot of the times, you know, you hear, uh, you know, people, friends, family, you know, you're pregnant, you just had a baby, it's okay, be easy on yourself. But I'm here to tell you today for anyone who's postpartum or who's gonna have a baby, um, 
that you, you could not be doing more of a disservice to yourself by going that route. So I, I really, really liked your point about how, you know, society kind of starts us young and it pushes, it pushes that, you know, food and particularly desserts and sweet treats as a reward for a child doing good. And then your point about postpartum too, I feel like when a woman is pregnant or when she's about to have a baby or even after she has a baby, I feel like people are always like, oh yeah, you know, it's okay. And when it comes to food, they're like, it's okay. You're eating for two, right? That notion about like eat everything, eat all the things. Cause mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not really a big deal, but of course, um, I would say there's a huge correlation, right? Between like your health and your baby's health mm -hmm. and, and the food that you're putting in your body. Um, and, you know, kind of like, I'm just thinking about, we just talked about how sugar is like a recreational drug, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I don't think we want to fall into a guilt trap. So I'll talk about a little bit about myself where like I was eating paleo for like four or five years of my life. I felt the best I ever did. Um, I even went through the whole 30 twice. And I felt like it was so restrictive that when I finally kind of had something like sugary or non-paleo, it kind of just like my taste buds were like, oh, this food does exist outside of what I was just eating. And, I, you know, it's I guess I should preface this by saying that a lot of my meals were a little bit on the blander side. Like I wasn't really making, you know, like South Asian uh, or Pakistani paleo food. It was more like, um, you know, fish and salad or like meat and salad or whatever. So uh, I have a, I have like an interesting relationship with food and how, you know, now that I'm kind of eating a little bit of everything, um, there are times when I felt a lot of guilt. I was like, you know, I was eating so well. And again, I was ascribing goodness to food that, so I, I thought because I'm eating good food, that makes me a good person. Uh, and because I'm eating now I'm eating bad food, quote unquote, I'm a bad person, right? Or I can't control myself or so basically falling in down this or, you know, this rabbit hole spiraling and, and feeling really crappy about myself. Uh, so my question is, you know, to avoid that, like, what are the alternatives? What can we do that can help us slowly sort of leave that mindset, but not just that, but like help us gain those good habits, right? Mm -hmm. um, and how we can sort of leave the sugar, ditch the sugar. And of course, I think these things you would probably do one at a time, like you're not going to just leave sugar and then leave something else that might be causing issues in your body and then like everything at the same time. Because sometimes I feel like, um, like, you know how you mentioned you're doing a cleanse, but you're doing it with a naturopathic doctor. So you're doing it with a trained professional and you're not doing it um, by just have, you know, reading articles online and being like, okay, I think this would work. This would work. I might take this supplement because that could be dangerous for your body, right? Because yeah. you, um, you may not know what you're doing to your, your, um, your blood work, your, mm -hmm. your, your blood sugar or your cholesterol or whatever. Mm -hmm. So basically in my, you know, long question, I'm, I'm asking, how do we get out of the guilt trap and what are the alternatives? So I want to leave processed sugar, but like you said, sugar is addictive. How do we get out of that? So I think, uh, again, this kind of goes off into something I've become very passionate about and we've discussed recently. And I think that association of good person versus bad person related to diet 
in my personal opinion, is a lot of it has come after social media. And I think that we are bombarded on another level with information from everyone and anyone, including our friend circle, including celebrities, including random new age Instagram (laughs) celebrities. And it's a lot. And even for somebody who, in my opinion, I thought was very understanding of these traps, having studied about them, I myself was, because these things come to you at a weak moment. And, you know, although you are, you know, you feel so empowered having after having a child, you know, your body kind of crashes, like, you know, you've gone, you've done so much, and now you need, you need to heal. But it's harder, because you now have to also take care of a needy being. And so when you're in that vulnerable state, and you're bombarded with these social media photos of these women who are, you know, they'll take their, you know, nine month off to the hospital. And then two days later, they post this like themselves in this, you know, very skin tight dress with their cute little stroller ready to go for their walk. It will do nothing but make you feel terrible about yourself, even to the best of us who just feels like, you know, they have a full understanding of, of, of it all. And so I think that was for me, my biggest issue that although I didn't think I was vulnerable to it, I was, and I still am not that I'm not now. And so I I highly recommend for anybody who feels that way to really take a hard look at what it is they're consuming. Because if you're not watching things, or you're not, you know, you know, it's more than likely that you you have a source of input from somewhere. I know another topic is, you know, coming from cultures that are very vocal about weight gain, and, you know, how we look, unfortunately, that's a very big part of some cultures where, you know, unsolicited opinions kind of come your way about, mm-hmm. oh, you look pudgy or, oh, are you expecting another baby? Or, you know, I've, I've heard it all even from it personally to myself. Yeah. And um, so even if you don't, if you put that aside, um, social media, I think can, can be either a blessing or a curse. And when it comes to this specific thing, it can be a curse. And so I think it's very important to look hard at what, who it is you follow, who it is you spend the time to look at, because a lot of these people are not realistic. A lot of these people will take a photo. So, cause obviously some of these people get paid, so they'll take a cute photo and then, you know, the rest of their day looks just like us, but we don't see it. We don't see, you know, the belly binders. We don't see, and even if, if, if that is who they are, they, they may have a history of exercising prior to birth. Their life circumstances are completely different. So that's the first thing definitely with taking away that association between good person and bad person. Um, when the breaking that sugar habit, like again, if I'm being completely honest with you, the reason I have gone to this point now where I'm six weeks in, it's because I hit rock bottom. And, you know, I, I wish for no one to hit rock bottom before they decide to make a change. And it is definitely easier to have some restraint once you've hit rock bottom because, you know, there's nowhere else to go but up. So that did help me, but I wouldn't recommend it, obviously, for anyone to hit rock bottom. So as you said, definitely um, talking to somebody who is a professional. And if not a professional, for whatever reason, you're unable to access a professional, somebody with knowledge. And this kind of goes on again on another side tangent of the importance of sharing. Um, I think that it is so undervalued within people within people amongst women this you know when you have knowledge or if you know something that is not common always be willing to share you you don't know how much you can change someone's life and 
I'll, I'll refer back to both of our friend Ramaisa um, from the O Affair on Instagram. I am so grateful and indebted to her for being so open about her knowledge when it comes to nutrition and food and, and holistic living. Um, she's been a huge inspiration to myself personally, and I'm sure to you as well, mm, on just making yeah. life changes and, you know, really looking intuitively at what's um, benefiting and what's not. And so when it comes to sugar, as you're mentioning, I have always enjoyed something sweet. Obviously, I've trained myself in the last you know few years to enjoy something sweet at night. And I always thought that, okay, it's either I answer that or I ignore it and I suffer. And so either way, I'm suffering because if I answer it, my body feels it. And if I don't answer it mentally, I'm like agonized that I didn't get my sweet fix. But um, she kind of showed me that there's this alternative that, you know what, if you are wanting something sweet, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's just where you get that sweet source from. And so, you know, as an example of something she introduced me to, which has really helped has been, because um, sometimes sweet, if, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, is a requirement of a bit of fat as well. Like your body's craving, it's needing some sort of healthy fat as well, because usually what the body gets from sweet is fat as well. Like anything sweet also has fat. So what an alternative that she gave me was that, um, you know, they have these uh, whole grain gluten-free rice crackers that, you know, some almond butter and some strawberries on top has been one of the best sweet replacements that I have found. Um, even just last night I had one because I, I kind of wanted this donut-ish type sweetness. And the fat and the sugar combination from the fruit, which was sufficient, completely took away that craving. And I did not have that feeling after. And so I think it's looking into some alternatives through guidance from either somebody who knows about it or a naturopath, a doctor, or even, um, I know unfortunately the internet is just, it's a bombardment of information. But once you find a reliable source, like for example, Dr. Hyman has a lot of recipes, um, or again, you know, people out there on Instagram who who genuinely want to help others and want to share, I definitely recommend um, talking it out because I think knowledge, when it's shared, it, it, it can do so much good for, for a person. I really like the point about, you know, seeking out those alternatives from trusted sources, because like you said, if you find, so in your case, you found the right combination, right? You found the rice cracker with almond butter and, and strawberries to be that thing that did it for you, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that obviously probably helps also alter your taste buds a bit that, you know, say you did ever eat something sweet again in the future, it would obviously taste so much more artificial. And by sweet, I mean like something that's processed, like a slice of cake or whatever. Um, so I think that's a, that's a really good point. And the second point that you made about the importance of sharing, um, I think that also made me realize about surrounding yourself with people who are supportive, right? Even if they may not follow your particular lifestyle. Because mm -hmm. I find that if you are, you know, surrounded by people who who may not support what you eat. So for example, I don't know, um, you go out for lunch with someone and, you know, you order whatever is you know that you're able to eat because you know your body well enough that you know if you eat say something that has like dairy in it or something that has like cheese in it it's going to really upset your stomach or you know you've been avoiding it and and this is like a hypothetical situation but i do know someone who went through this where you know at the restaurant the person kind of berated them like saying oh you know you can have one bite like why are you so you know why are you so like uptight about this just have have a bite right and she knew that if she gave in that it would you know it would 
mess with her body. Like she would have physical symptoms of like pain in her stomach and whatever. So even being surrounded by people who may not even eat what you eat, but they're so supportive of you that you do go to a restaurant and they say, you know what, go ahead, order whatever you need to. Like it's, that's, it's your body. It's your choice, right? At the end of the day. And you fuel it the way you feel is best for you. Um, so I think that's, that's also extremely important for those who are listening and they may want to implement some of the advice that has been given in this book. And, you know, they may not want to just eat a salad or eat those kind of typical foods that one may associate with, you know, being healthy, uh, necessarily, what would you suggest that they can start with? So I think something that's really undervalued is the source of where you get your produce from. Um, again, I given that I don't eat meat, um, I can only uh, assume or not assume, but only go by what I've read. And you know, making a very you know good effort to finding grass fed meat. Um, I think uh, meat, as I've read, is a lot of these mass produced animals are fed grain, and even if it's an organic source of meat, a lot of them are are fed grain and corn that are organic, but it's still, these products are not meant to be in these animals. And these animals are herbivores that graze on grass. And so uh, making that effort, if you do eat meat, to purchase and, and seek out grass-fed meat, uh, that's, that's definitely something for those who do eat meat. But I really believe as a vegetarian and as someone who has eaten veg vegetables and fruits all my life, that the source of a fruit and vegetable is really undervalued. And um, especially, you know, we, we live in, you know, a very cold climate area. And so we only have a few months of, you know, some crop growing weather. Uh, when it is spring, I highly recommend to seek out the closest farmer's market to purchase your produce directly from a farm. Uh, the quality and taste of a vegetable or fruit when it's come as close to the source as possible is completely different than when you purchase, let's say, a box of strawberries that have come from California. Most of the time, tomatoes, strawberries, you know, general things are, are picked while they're still relatively raw and they ripen while they're packaged and shipped. And so that ripening process is not natural. When a fruit or a vegetable ripens on the actual stem, um, the, you know, the, the nutrients and the phytochemicals that enter that fruit are, and, or vegetables completely different and the flavor profile changes. And so a lot of times in Europe, you know, when we've traveled and I've heard a lot about the European diet being a far better diet than, you know, the American diet, uh, you, you hear about, um, you see that like, you know, I've been to Italy before and, you know, a basic tomato salad with basil and, you know, olive oil is so flavorful and so delicious. Even someone like my husband, who is not a vegetable lover, enjoys it just because of where that, that, that those vegetables are sourced from. So paying attention to where you purchase. Uh, unfortunately, I know, you know, cost effective and quality doesn't always align. And so trying our best to, you know, if you actually sit down with your family and do the math of how much you pay or you spend on processed food, in press part of your grocery bill. And that includes, you know, juice boxes, that includes um, frozen foods, that includes anything that's processed, that's not raw, a whole ingredient, as well as add the cost of eating out. I think if that amount that you spend on those things are just put into buying more wholesome produce and meat and, you know, grass fed milk, you know, dairy products uh, get a bad rap. And some people also don't tolerate dairy very well. 
But for the most part, if you, you know, seek out grass fed dairy products, a lot of times the reaction um, is, is a lot more milder or not even there. Like my, my, I remember with my, my son, he would complain of a stomachache every time he drank milk. And so I thought that, you know, he had a milk allergy as well, but when I switched him over to grass fed, he has not complained of it at all. And so I think there, there's a very big difference and, you know, there's so much to say about this topic. So if you, you know, look into, you know, grass fed uh, dairy, I've recently come across some information and um, it really does make a difference. And uh, before I do forget, um, you know, another thing that I know has been kind of passing around a lot is, uh, you know, gut health and everywhere you hear it, oh, eczema, gut health or this gut health. And it is a very, very, you know, um, neglected topic, I think, for the average person. I myself did not know much about it. I used to just hear that term tossed around when every time I told someone I had eczema. And uh, just, you know, citing from the book itself, um, he mentions that the surface area of your intestinal lining is as is the size of a tennis court. And that is insane. I, I cannot wow. even imagine. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine that, you know, in, in the average person. And there is only one cell between your, your, your intestinal, like your intestine and um, below that, which is the sewer of your, of your excretion. Mm-hmm. And it's one cell thick. And so inflammatory foods, you know, um, uh, like poisonous foods, sugars, all of these things, they, they tear at this very delicate lining. And when that does happen, um, it's the term is leaky gut. And when that does happen, you're allowing pro- like food proteins, bacteria um, to enter your bloodstream. And 60% of your immune system is below this intestinal lining. And so 60%, that is a huge number. So, so many illnesses and you know, auto, autoimmune diseases and so many things that I think have not gotten enough um, knowledge that's been spread to people. And sadly, these people are on chronic medications, which is even more damaging. Um, it's so important to really look at. And he discusses this in his book. So I, again, I know every week we say this, but I mm-hmm. highly, highly recommend you get your hands on this book because apart from some recipes he has at the back, um, the bulk of this book is about educating, um, you know, the average reader and person about the, you know, the issues with the American diet. And he says 60% of the American diet are foods that damage this lining. And so, you know, I myself did not know, you know, our, the immune system is, that's where it lies and how much of it is affected. So I, I've already seen, you know, um, I've actually had a lot of people reach out to me before when I was uh, providing like eczema bombs for children. And they were like, oh, my child has eczema. And the first thing, you know, I've mentioned is you need to cut out certain food groups to test it out. And a lot of times it's tough because, again, you know, as parents, the first thing, one of the first things we give our children is is milk. But, you know, the quality of milk, where the milk comes from, um, whether milk is even good for the child, you know, it all plays into, you know, gut health and just overall, yeah, well-being. Yeah, I think that's really amazing how, you know, food is such a true healer Mm -hmm. that, like this statistic that you mentioned about the, you know, how our intestine is like, I, I, did you say that how big it is? It, it could yeah, the span surface, the, the surface area is like, surface area is like a tennis court. And that, I think that, that actually like right now it's clicking for me, like how, because it's kind of coiled up in our body. Mm-hmm. Like we never think of it in, mm-hmm. in that way. But when you sort of imagine a tennis court and how large it is, and then you realize that the food that you're eating is, it's so important, the nutrition that you're getting in your body, because that's where it goes, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how, like, whatever is being absorbed into your body, you want it to be something, you know, wholesome and, and you know, of course, delicious as well at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I think more than anything, what I've kind of gotten out of this whole sort of discussion is that education is power. Like if you don't, and you know, the, the, ter the terminology about like leaky gut and, and all of that, like I, so when I had started the paleo, um, when I had joined the paleo, like diet and lifestyle, that's when I first heard it. But even then there was a lot of like, there was a lot of, um, you know, collision between people saying leaky gut is real. No, leaky gut is not real. And now as the evidence has established more, you know, it's definitely a real phenomenon that happens. And a lot of like, you know, you mentioned autoimmune diseases and other issues that crop up in your body happen because of that. Right. So, you know, you can't stress enough the importance of, of eating well. And your point about, you know, farmer's markets, um, can totally get behind that because I remember last year when we went to a farmer's market that's here local to us. And I remember uh, we were loading up our stuff in the car and there was a truck pulling in with so much broccoli in the back, but it was like fresh broccoli. And I remember it was such a beautiful sight where like, this is, you know, it's amazing to see your food actually coming in front of your eyes mm -hmm. and being brought to, you know, the farmer's market. And uh, I think you know, not only is the quality better because, and I, I, even price wise, I remember when like we were tallying up our, our, our bills and everything, I was like, this is like grocery store prices. Right. Um, and, and you're getting so much like color and variety and, and, and the shelf life is actually even more. Yeah. I found that yeah. With the farmer's market, yeah. I like when I bought broccoli or beads or anything, mm. they actually lasted much more longer um, in the, in the fridge versus, you know, grocery store, beans or whatnot um, yeah. again because they've they've been picked within a day or so mm -hmm. before they're sold yeah yeah absolutely I remember experiencing that as well because uh like you said right with the food being transported in trucks and it ripening on the way and then sitting on the shelf for you know a few days by the time it gets to your house if you don't consume it within a day or two it's gone mm -hmm. right um like I noticed that with strawberries for example even if we buy organic strawberries we'll notice that it's it has like those little fuzzy white, mm -hmm. you know, fungi spots on it because it, it just went bad. Um, and yeah, no, honestly, I, I'm, I'm excited to read this book too, because I feel like, you know, as someone who was already in the thick of it and, and kind of moved away. And I, I feel like right now I'm kind of trying to get back to that balanced way of eating. And I feel like this would be perfect for me because, you know, paleo was too strict and I kind of fell off the bandwagon and I, I want to be able to eat in a way where, you know, I, what I'm putting into my body is, is good. It's nutritious. I feel good. And I can like, I think after a while you begin to become very conscious of the symptoms in your body too, right? Like uh, if I ate this and I feel pain in my stomach or in any other part of my body, then I know that this is something I need to take out. And I just feel like, it's such a, it's such an amazing way to live, right? Like becoming so one with yourself, <laughs> right? As, as cliche as that sounds. That's empowering. Um, yeah, it, definitely. It's so empowering to, to have that and, and, you know, having that knowledge base and, and being able to act on it. Mm -hmm. So before we end off, are there any other, you know, things that you want to bring up that you think we may have missed or um just I had some conclu conclusion um just points uh just that I wanted to uh for anyone like I know that we said a lot so just as action steps for anyone who wants to make some changes with their life uh the first is I can't stress the importance of 
cooking around your 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 origin, your your taste buds. Um, I think a lot of place times I've, that I've failed has been when I've tried to use cookbooks um, written by people who are not from the same cultural background as me. And, you know, I eventually, my taste buds end up like just giving out <laughs> because either it's missing salt or it's missing, you know, spice, or it's, it's, it's not the flavor profile that I grew up with. And so um, the, the first point is to center your, learn the foods, because that's the beauty of holistic eating. It's the whole food that is what's good. There is not a style of eating that's good. And so when you learn the spices and the vegetables and the meats and the whatever that you can eat that is appropriate for you and your body, you can then curate it to your, your flavor profile of, you know, your country of origin or what you've grown up with so that it's appealing because you are more likely to eat what it is that you've grown up with or what it is that you're accustomed to. Um, the second thing is for, for parents, uh, again, I have made this mistake and I'm now trying to backtrack and it's harder to do it when you, once you've started, but don't mask the flavors of foods with sauces. Um, for myself, I am very guilty of giving my kids, you know, biryani or, you know, rice dishes or like, you know, curries with, with like, you know, um, flatbreads with yogurt. And so at this point now, I feel like my kids eat mostly yogurt and a very little bit of the rice. And so I'm slowly cutting back how much yogurt I'm putting on their plate. Uh, ketchup's the other guilty thing. Mm. Um, you know, ketchup's always that side. So it's like they eat like, yeah. you know, ketchup with a side of something else. And so even um, adults are like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's, <laughs> and it continues with into adulthood. Yeah. And so, um, you know, definitely, definitely if you have young children. Um, it's never too late, but especially if you have babies, do not start that habit of masking flavors because you know what I think that this concept that children can't take spice is is kind of weird if you think about it um salt I understand and obviously sugar I understand but apart from that you know a little bit of cinnamon or a little bit of you know a little bit of even heat like I don't see it harming a child and children know their limits so um that's definitely another huge thing um again from personal experience don't eat for weight loss uh I really um (laughs) I've I've failed numerous times when that has been my goal that I'm going to eat uh, with the goal of losing weight because you know what if that's your only goal you you are not going to be eating intelligently you're going to be eating uh, with paranoia and so you're going to second guess everything you're going to second guess how much olive oil you're going to pour into your salad you're going to second guess you know is it okay if I eat a piece of coconut or like like a larger chunk you know Um, healthy foods can have fat in them and fat is not the enemy processed fat and artificial fat is what's the problem. So uh, definitely um, center your mind around eating things that um, don't have any other ingredients, but you know, the thing itself, uh, even when it comes to things like I've looked in grocery stores for like, I, I like uh, dried coconut and a lot of products have salt and sugar with their coconut. So you make sure that whatever you have, that's not with appeal. When you flip over, read ingredients at the grocery store and just make sure that if not a, a minimal list of ingredients, everything should be like, you should be able to understand every single ingredient on the list. Um, the uh, other tip is uh, to definitely consider alternatives to what you're craving. Cause what you're craving is not necessarily bad. Even if it's sweet, you can, maybe your body requires something um, like a, a nutritional element that's in a sweet source from a holistic food, like fruit. So don't uh, ignore what your body wants. And you'll learn to understand this when you've, purged your system of, you know, processed food. Uh, I didn't feel this way in the first couple of weeks of doing this cleanse, but now I, I have developed some sort of sense of, okay, I feel like I need something salty. I feel like I need something, you know, sweet or heavier or this. And um, it's really interesting. And I, I find it very, like I said, empowering to um, understand my body because for the longest time, I just would give in to just, I should sleep enough. 
but now it's like, okay, my body probably needs this for this reason. So um, intuitive eating is definitely something I'd recommend. And, and finally, uh, again, don't beat yourself up about it. Um, You know, don't be hard on yourself and really filter, you know, the information that you're taking in around you because your, your, your surroundings really make a big part of who you are. And no matter how impervious you feel like you are to um, influence, we, we all are influenced, every single one of us. And so your, your circle of friends, um, you know, keep those who are wanting to share and help and who, who are also humble enough to take your advice, because I think it's also important to be around people who um, are also willing to learn because, you know, you should, it's a two-way street. You learn and, you know, they learn from you as well as um, now with social media being around uh, for parents to, you know, really filter what your children watch and, and learn. Cause you know, sometimes it scares me. This is a whole new topic, but um, it scares me sometimes with, you know, young girls, like all of these female celebrities and young new celebrities, they have created such an unnatural concept of what is normal. Um, I personally didn't grow up with it. I'm sure you didn't either. And so for young, you know, what you take in, even if you're a mom and there's a lot of motherhood pages, but a lot of these women are not the norm. Mm -hmm. Most women have, you know, look very different than what these people look like. And so if somebody is triggering you, no matter who it is, it could even be a good friend. Um, It's, it's fine to unfollow them. Like, and you don't, you don't, this is your choice. You're, 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 what you take in is your your choice and you can maintain a friendship without taking in things that trigger you or things that affect you. So um, I, I do hope that this has benefited uh, anyone who's listened. And again, I highly recommend reading this book for you know those who are trying to look into um, a new way of eating and to really change their life around. Um, you know, now with hopefully COVID will eventually, you know, be a distant past in the next, you know, hopefully a few months. And with that, you know, before life gets back to being hectic again, I think if we have a good hold on um, our nutrition and our lifestyle, I think we'll go into the, you know, other half of, you know, life um, a lot more successful. Absolutely. All really great points to end off the podcast. Uh, I really want to thank you again for this really eye-opening discussion because as we've been talking, I've also been kind of reflecting on my own journey with food and nutrition and, and you know, I'm feeling really motivated now um, to go home and to kind of like take stock of, you know, what I'm doing right and what maybe needs to be incorporated a little bit more. So this was really, really great. If you have any other questions or you want to learn more about this topic, be sure to follow us on Instagram at bite.sizedbooks. That's B-Y-T-E dot sized books. And we will see you all again in two weeks for our fourth episode. Thank you so much again for listening and for all your wonderful support.